Carlos Picatellos, and welcome to the Greg Cruz Film Club Halloween feature, the 1987 classic directed by Joel Schumacher, Lost Boys. Michael, the initiation's over. This movie was chosen for several reasons by my wife, Jennifer. One, it's awesome. Two, it's super awesome. Three, it's really short. And four, they say the word Michael 100 times in a 97-minute movie. Yeah. Uh, this is directed by Joel Schumacher, uh, who directed, as you know, the greatest of all Batman movies, Batman Forever. Yeah. I'll hear no arguing. And if you're one of those guys who lives by himself and doesn't smell that well, I'll hear no arguing at all. <laughs> Batman Forever is the most awesome Batman movie of all time. There's really no comparison. Name another one where Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones wouldn't speak to each other during the entire filming of a movie. Ah, and Val Kilmer was great in it, even though you couldn't see him half the time. And uh, yeah, uh, but the, we're not here to talk about that. What we're here to talk about is The Lost Boys. And there's another reason why we're showing it tonight, and this is a quote from Joel Schumacher. Vampires are hot. They're the only erotic monster. Frankenstein's not hot. And I think as a director, that needs to be your philosophy of life. When you're setting out to make a vampire movie, I think hot is the way to go on this one. We've done camp, we've done, um, by the way, this one encompasses so many things. Uh, camp, funny, hot, um, scary, I'll leave that up to you. Um, there's certain scenes in it where the acting's a little scary. That's about as scary as this one's going to get. Um, but it is probably the hottest of all vampire movies, and certainly um, very popular when it came out. A lot of you are quite young, and you don't remember the 80s. And if you do, or if you're my age and you lived through the 80s, you probably don't remember 1985 through 1991. So thank you. I'll be pausing so that you can honor each joke with a moment of silence. I notice you're a respectful crowd in that regard. This picture takes place in Santa Cruz, California, which is uh, named Santa Carla in the movie. And uh, I am from the Bay Area. I'm from San Carlos, California, the whitest place on the face of the earth, home of the Plain Yogurt Festival. Take out the fruit, the powerful taste is burning our tongues. Where, where One Direction is found in the hip hop section. It was white there. But one thing that we did growing up in San Carlos was drive to Santa Cruz, which was quite nearby, maybe an hour, down a very windy, scary road called the 17. And you would end up in Santa Cruz. And in those days, when we would drive there to the boardwalk, which is where a good deal of the hot action takes place on this, including an unfeasibly hot shirtless saxophone player <laughs> who is giving it his all in this movie. There is a bandstand, and it's still there at the boardwalk. And I had one of my high school friends um, who used to um, uh, be uh, super hard and wear um, the hobnail boots and smoke Marlboros in high school um, write me it, it, with tears in his eyes and say, said to me, I was an extra in that scene, man. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of emotions going on. On the way to the boardwalk and the um, unfeasibly hot shirtless saxophone player, which, by the way, uh, if you didn't live through the 80s, you would not know that saxophones dominated as an instrument through the entirety of the 80s. 
Um, every single ad on TV had a sax player in it. Every single movie had a hot sax player in it. Um, it was imperative that there was a saxophone in the movie. Um, I was in a dog food commercial in 1985 for Purina Dog Chow, where I showed up uh, for the audition, and uh, uh, I wore like a check jacket, and I had a little hat, and my roommate, who was also a drug dealer, um, was a musician, and he, or that's mutually inclusive. He was a musician, and he also dealt drugs, and he lent me his saxophone, which I wore into the audition, and I was given the part on the spot. What, what did you do, Greg? I hear you query. I hear the curiosity in your mind welling up like the blood in an enormous fissure about to burst when a vampire is about to take your life and give you everlasting immortality. And then maybe you're a little boy wearing a Civil War outfit named Laddie and you're kind of sad, but you have boss hair. Or maybe you're Jamie Gertz and you're Jewish, but you're going to live forever, but all you really wanted was to be a girlfriend in the movie. Uh, in the ad, I was required to dance on a pier in Oakland um, uh, around a dog, an enormous basset hound named Dum Dum. And Dum Dum had been on The Tonight Show, and Dum Dum had a gigantic resume. Uh, he had way better credits than I did at the time. And I danced around him, and Dum Dum would, on cue, go like this, if you said, sing, Dum Dum. So his trainer, who was fairly drunk, stood off to the side. And yeah, uh, by the way, all, almost all animal trainers, yeah. Uh, fortunately, no animals are killed in the making of the Lost Boys, except for, I think, some maggots uh, got hurt at one point. And uh, I danced around this dog in a, in a red jacket um, all day long and received my SAG card. So there's, yeah, there's a, a show business story with a happy ending. Uh, then COVID came and no one's worked. So I didn't want to bring everyone down. Here we go. Uh, on the way to Santa Cruz from San Carlos, uh, first of all, I was a stand-up comic in San Francisco in the 80s and 90s. And um, there was a gig in Santa Cruz called The Crow's Nest. And it was on a Sunday night. And it was pretty wild. Um, uh, kind of a hippie crowd. The crowd in Santa Cruz was always nice. Um, they didn't really boo or heckle or anything like that. And when you told a joke, they go like, yeah. Right? You're really doing something. And then uh, you never were sure whether how many people in the audience or not had a body buried up in the hills. Because that's what Santa Cruz is all about. Uh, when they were going to make the movie there, the town fathers of Santa Cruz were, um, which by the way, are there still town fathers? And do they meet in a smoke-filled room uh, and, and go harumph, harumph? Uh, the, 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 the people who run Santa Cruz, whomever they may be, were slightly upset and like, wow, this might ruin our image. Um, the image of Santa Cruz uh, all through my high school was that you went there to be killed and your body to be hidden in a cabin in a cute little town nearby called Ben Lomond. Thank you. One person knows what I'm talking about. There's Strawberry, there's Ben Lomond, there's all these Scottish named towns near there. And uh, it was the serial killer capital of the world, in fact, at one point in the mid-70s, which they weren't proud of. And I always thought, why not go for it? Put the sign up. Um, I was in Reno recently, and Reno um, is a coma with gambling and meth addicts. And they have a sign that says the biggest little city in the world, which there's no proof for. Um, it's little, kind of, is it the biggest little city? Wow, now you're asking me to make a value judgment and I'm drunk. Um, 
So I always thought Santa Cruz should have put a sign up that said, possibly the um, uh, serial killer capital of the world, stick around and find out. Because I'm from San Carlos, and next door was Redwood City. And Redwood City had a giant sign when I was little that said, climate best by government test. And it was like, well, that's not really drawing people in. No one drives through Redwood City and goes, fuck, it's nice here, let's stop. Yeah, I can wait this out. I have nothing but time. On the way to Santa Cruz, on the beach boardwalk. And by the way, the boardwalk was as sleazy then as it is now. The people who ran the rides had misspelled tattoos and intermittent teeth. Their teeth looked like a Civil War graveyard with every other tombstone knocked down. And often misspelled tattoos that said like mom and pope on their hands or loathe and hot. And uh, we were given money and let to run alone up and down the boardwalk. There was one ride that was absolutely death-defying, and it was these little buckets that take you in the air from one end of the boardwalk to the other, which are still there. I was there recently. And they have no legs. Like, it's like a ski, uh, uh, whatever. I don't, I'm not that white, so I don't ski. But the, when people go on those things, what are they, lifts? Uh, you know how you dangle, your legs dangle, and, and you're just suspended, kind of, and there's really no safety whatsoever? They're still there. And I remember getting in one with my father who weighed somewhere in the neighborhood of like 250 pounds and him being absolutely mortified. The only time I've ever seen him fucking scared. I saw him chase groups of people down the street shouting. And when we got in the sky buckets, he was like, and they're still there. Um, on the way to Santa Cruz, there was two hideous amusement parks. There was a place called the Lost World that had the best, best entrance of any amusement park in the uh, mankind. Uh, uh, dinosaurs all out in front. And I begged my parents to go there and begged and begged, and they would never stop because it had paper mache dinosaurs. And it was called the Lost World for fuck's sake. So you had, what is going to happen inside there, right? And then I've heard from another friend when you go in, it was an arborist who'd gone mad and combined different trees together. And one looked like a throne, and one was bent to the side, and one looked like a witch, and that was fucking it. <laughs> and then there was a place called Santa's Village, which I swear to you, was open all year long and was in the hills of Santa Cruz where murder was king. And Santa's village, not only did Santa walk around there, but for some reason the Easter Bunny, who evidently was lost and high on psychedelic mushrooms that he'd found in the mountains of Santa Cruz, there was an Easter Bunny and like a gingerbread man that would walk around Santa's village to taunt the children. And all of the rides were like the little rides that you go on where the little kids go on. They were all like the little carny rides. Then you got to the boardwalk. And there was um, the Giant Dipper, which is still there, an absolutely mortifying um, roller coaster. The first 30 seconds of it are in the dark. And no one has ever maintained it or fixed it or oiled it in the 70 years that it's been there. So when you get in, dirt fell on you as you got in the thing. And then as you went through, you'd see like shit flying and you're like, what was that? And then when you got out, you'd be over the, the boardwalk where Ke uh, Kiefer Sutherland later would roam. And it, you, the first hill is like 35 seconds and you could see everything from the top and the, it's still there and people screaming but what was scarier than that was a little roller coaster that's no longer there called the Mad Mouse 
and it was one of those little wire affairs, and the cars were like this and had no bumpers on them at all, and would go straight to the edge and then turn backwards and go the other way. And they would, it was the most mortifying fucking ride in the entire universe. And that was supposed to be the one for kids. <laughs> Let me tell you something. The 60s and 70s were awesome. Everybody smoked. There was no safety measures at all. And everyone was fucking thin. <laughs> we drove in a station wagon to Santa Cruz that had a glass top in it. It was called a Vista Cruiser. So that at any point, if a pine cone came ratcheting down out of the woods and hit the glass, it would explode and you would be thrown immediately to safety. <laughs> when you got in the, Santa Cru the Vista Cruiser with all your cousins, in the back there was no seats whatsoever. Simply a back door that was either a door or it opened both ways. It opened as a truck door and it opened as a door door. And then there was no, no seat belts, anything. And all of the children were put in the back. And the 17 went like this. So as you rode to Santa Cruz, you were thrown from one side of the station wagon to the other, while my father smoked Salem's with the windows rolled up and drank brandy from a pint thing under his seat. So he drove with his knees in one hand, smoking and drinking the entire way. So if a car behind us got too close, you had your own personal horror movie where you could watch it through the glass as the car came in feasibly close to you. But of course, knowing that if the car smashed into you, the glass would break and you would be thrown immediately to safety. <laughs> I think I've lost a lot of you here. And I think part of the reason is you're all serious now and you're like, fuck, people smoked inside cars with children? That's fucked up. <laughs> I also worked for a pizza maker in Burlingame who sold methamphetamine and he paid the kids who breaded the chicken in weed. And I've told this many times to crowds in LA, and this is a place where people will sleep with people and have raw dog unsafe sex to get a part in a Taco Bell ad. And yet they judge me because I worked with children who took marijuana as pay. I've made myself hysterical, so I think I've made up for a lot of it. Vampires have been popular for a good long time. And Bram Stoker, who really made it happen in the 1890s, is from Dublin. And, right? I, we have Irish people here tonight. If you've ever been to Dublin, it's fucking spooky. Why? Uh, because Irish people are there. <laughs> and uh, even though you think you can understand them, you can't. And uh, they'll say things to you like, I'll ask, I'm going to go and just for the crack, eh? Diamond! Like, oh, I don't understand what you're saying. And um, unlike America, there's music stores and bookstores everywhere um, in the city of Dublin. And then um, the Book of Kells, uh, which is what uh, white people did to ward off other races from the island of Ireland, it was a book they drew. And um, the Romans never got to Ireland, by the way, so civilization never brushed the place. Uh, People were urinating outdoors like two weeks ago in Ireland because they really never had plumbing or anything like that. Hi, welcome to the show. <laughs> now you're in my cocoon of safety. In Dublin, I went to Davy Burns, where, um, which was a famous place where people who um, sat down all day and uh, put pen to paper 
Uh, and as Sean Hughes said, and the Irish called them drunks. Uh, I, and I ordered lunch, and uh, it came with um, fried potatoes, baked potatoes, mashed potatoes, yes, I'm not done, scallop potatoes, and potatoes au gratin. That's six kinds of potatoes with one fucking meal in Ireland. They love tatties. And it occurred to me at that moment that there never was a potato famine in Ireland. Everyone simply ordered lunch at the same time that fateful day in 1848. <laughs> Irish people cannot answer you uh, if you put a direct question to them. They can only answer you with another question, and they'll twinkle at you. They'll give you that J.R.R. Tolkien kind of twinkly thing, right? So you'll come down from your hotel and you'll be like, there's no hot water in my room, and the water that does come out's rusty, and they'll go, oh, it's a tea. Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and all the saints, this water you'll be wanting. Well, if you don't drink the water, you might not die the fighting for dying now. <laughs> and if you ask for directions, like, um, uh, excuse me, I'm lost. I need to get back to the road. Oh, it's directions you'll be wanting, is it? <laughs> yes, that was why I queried you. You'll find that the rising inflection in my voice and the puzzled look on my face indicates that I'm asking a question. Do you know how to get to the main road? Oh, the main road it is you're looking for. Yes, that's why I'm asking you these series of questions. Do you know where it is? Now you're wanting to know if I know, are you? <laughs> Fuck it, I'll stay here. <laughs> so Bram Stoker lived in Dublin, and he wrote Dracula, and there's no giant statue of Dracula in Dublin. There's statues of every other Irish person, and there's a statue of uh, fantastically, um, uh, uh, I've blanked on his name, from Thin Lizzy. Phil Lenott, there's a giant statue of Phil Lenott, which is awesome beyond measure, but no giant statue of Dracula. So we went to the Irish Museum, and it was freezing ass cold, and there was no heat inside the museum. And the person running the museum was wearing fingerless gloves like in a Dickens novel. <laughs> and there was no heat whatsoever. And I said, well, how much is it to get in? And in those days, it was uh, uh, Irish punts or whatever. Oh, it's two punts. And I was like, well, I started to fiddle with my money, and they're like, oh, fuck it, just go in. So we went in, and upstairs was an exhibit to Bram Stoker, unbeknownst to us, and first editions of Dracula in every language. Uh, Spanish, Danish, German, uh, uh, French, English, right? Swedish, Russian. First editions of Dracula. Underneath what can only be described as the thing that your aunt put over a cake. You know, like a little plastic thing. There was no lock, there was no alarm, there was no docent, there was no one watching at all, just the guy downstairs with the fingerless gloves freezing to death. And all these first editions of Dracula, and I said to my wife, this is how it goes down. I'm going to have a petty mall seizure. And you're to grab all of these copies of Dracula and go ass over fucking tea kettle out this fucking building. Because the guy is not going to move from his frozen spot and we're going to have all the first editions of Dracula. My plans were foiled, of course. Uh, actually, I should have said, no, we have them now, and I'm independently wealthy. That's why I don't care. Um, that one made me laugh. Uh, Joel Schumacher uh, was very kind to the cast in this movie. Uh, the cast said, uh, Corey Feldman was 14, and uh, he was very nice to him when Corey Feldman has said so. He's also the one who put Corey Feldman and Corey Haim together so that we had the two Coreys all through the 80s, which was a gift to cinema. And uh, 
this is fantastic. Uh, when they went to Santa Cruz, uh, Joel Schumacher said when they were shooting the scene where they're hanging off the bridge, man, a lot of this movie takes place at night. We've got a lot of nights ahead of us. And it's that kind of vision that I look for in a horror movie. Also, the cast said, according to Alex Winter, we lived at night, we stayed up all night, and we got up to all kinds of mayhem, which makes the movie even bitchiner to know, because most of it takes place at night, that they didn't sleep at all, they just did drugs all fucking night, and then got up and put on vampire outfits, <laughs> and rode around on motorcycles while Echo and the Bunnymen played. This movie should be a Christmas movie because it brings that kind of joy. In fact, we may show it again at Christmas, right? We usually show Die Hard because Die Hard is the most sentimental of all Los Angeles movies. A building gets blown up in Century City and that's something that everyone in LA wants to see over and over again. And now I give you from 1987, Joel Schumacher's classic, The Lost Boys. Thank you.